Welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet all alone in North Carolina. I know. I was going to say, did you hear that like sadness in my voice when I said where I was? I did. I sure did. Yes. It's okay. It's fine. Geography is whatever. Yeah, I know. It was really nice to be together while we had it, but now we're not. So we're just going to have to live with it. Virtually clinking glasses. Yep. Over technical difficulties. Oh my goodness, guys. You don't even have any idea. We have not recorded since we were together in North Carolina. Excuse me. And we've gone through, you know, Beth has gone through, she's on her third computer right now? I am. (laughs) My first computer was broken. My second computer was broken, (laughs) slow, and now I'm on my husband's work computer. Doing just fine. <laughs> Every time she's like, um, let's take a break and I'll text you when I've got it going. And I'd go up the stairs and my husband look at me and go, well, hey, done already after seven minutes. <laughs> and then I'd leave and he'd be like, see you in seven minutes. <laughs> and that was true. <laughs> it was true several times. This time I was like, I think we got it. So I probably won't be back in seven minutes. <laughs> I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit this job. (laughs) But it's cool. My husband saved the day. It's all good. I came downstairs panicked and he had like literally just walked in the door and I was like, I need a cord. I need a cord. He's like, just use my work computer. I'm like, oh, okay. I need a cord. I need your computer and a refill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Well, well, we're here though and we're able to record and it's all good. So. So hi. So hey. And are you ready for this? I'm super ready. Okay. Well, I chose a story from West Virginia. Ooh. Yes. Danger, danger. And um, I'm pretty sure you know this one. I know this because we've already talked about it. But it is <laughs> <laughs> the um, Sodder family tragedy. Yes. The Sodders. So Such you are. a sad story. Aware. My sister has been asking me to do this case since the second day we started a podcast (laughs) about true crime. It is a really well-known case. Yes, I know it. I love it. I cannot wait to hear it. So you say it's really well-known. However, I had never heard of it. But but for sure, it's probably well-known in West Virginia. And you said your sister... We don't let a lot of things out of our state, you know. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And you mentioned your sister really wanting you to do it. Now, you guys probably know our format is we don't tell each other the stories we're going to do. Nope. Um, Typically in advance because we want the other person to react naturally. And this time I sent her a picture of my notes kind of like saying, hey, I'm doing my research. And she could zoom in and see. (laughs) And she was like, which I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that case is on my list, blah, blah, blah. My sister wants me to do it. And so Beth and I have a lot of, we call spidey moments, you know, like the spidey sense where you just kind of know something's out there and you feel it. So we have this spidey sense and this is a total 
Spidey moment that it I totally picked is. this case and she had it on her list. It's so weird because I do feel like especially we keep this running list of things that we've heard of and then we keep a list of things that people have suggested. So for me, this was something that my sister had suggested and I'm like, oh, yeah, we should totally do that case. But Christy, it, she just found it and yep. was attracted to it and was like, I'm going to do this case. So yeah. And I don't really know why I, I was initially attracted to it because I don't really like old, old stuff. And this is old. It is. But it's a very interesting case. So give it to me. To it. Yes. Right. Sweet. Okay. So this is the Sauter family story. George Sauter was born in Italy in 1895, and he immigrated to the United States at the age of 13 with his older brother. For some reason, and I have no idea why, I don't think anybody knows why, his brother immediately turned around and went back to Italy. And George never really talked about this, so which is why we don't know why. But George stayed, and he worked doing a lot of different things, starting in Pennsylvania. So he eventually took work in Smithers, West Virginia. Do you know where Smithers is? I don't know where Smithers is, but that's cute. Yeah, I, I liked the name. Maybe that's what caught my eye was Smithers. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so he's working in Smithers, West Virginia, and a few more years after that, he started his own trucking company, and this company hauled dirt to construction sites and coal, and he oh. soon met So it's Jenny. in coal country. Yes. Oh, Smithers okay. is in coal country. Okay. <laughs> well, except I think he had moved further away from there at this point. I'm sorry. This. Well, no, no. Then he met Jenny. Okay, here we go. So then he met Jenny Cipriani who she had also immigrated to the U.S. from Italy, but when she was three years old. Don't you wish you had an interesting name like that? Cipriani. Cipriani. Yeah. yeah. It is, is a just cool like name. you're automatically cute. Yes. I yeah. like it. And I just last night was reading something else and that name came into it. And it wasn't even about crime. Like I, I can't even remember what we were doing, but that name came up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the name of my case. How weird that that came that out again. weird. Oh yeah. my gosh. Cipriani. Cipriani. <laughs> so they married and moved to Fayetteville, Virginia, which West well, Virginia. You just I'm sorry. Virginia. Oh my gosh. West Cardinal Virginia. freaking <gasps> sin. Oh, I'm going to get hate mail for this. <laughs> nope. I fixed it. It's okay. okay. <laughs> Fayetteville, West Virginia, which is from what I looked up about an hour and 45 minutes from where you're from, Respect. It is. It yes. is. I've been there. It's gorgeous. Cool. Where well, Bridge Day is. Oh, that's right. She just explained to me what Bridge Day was to yeah. you before. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. People come from all over the country to jump off a bridge with parachutes. It's called free jumping. I totally My brother that. has done it. It was cool. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do it next time. No. <clears throat> okay. No. All right. So they're in Fayetteville. <laughs> and there, there was a large population of Italian immigrants in the area which I would imagine is the reason that they moved to this particular area. They had a two-story wood-framed house and a farm, and they had a total of 10 children while living there. It's a lot of kids. It is. That's Cipriani. <laughs> <laughs> so their children were Joe, John, Marion, George Jr., Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, Betty, and Sylvia. Wait, her name was Jenny and she had a kid named Jenny. Yeah, that's not too common that you name a girl the same, you know. You do it a lot with men, but it's not yeah. very common. But I bet you at that point, 
they were out of names. I mean, yeah, they were on their third to last kid, and it's like, well, what do we do? <laughs> so, anyway, um, the firstborn was in 1923, and the last one was born in 1943. So Sylvia um, was the last one born in 1943. George becomes a successful businessman throughout these years and was well-known and respected in this community. On Christmas Eve, 1945, so Sylvia is just two years old, 11 out of the 12 family members had been enjoying time together. Their oldest child, Joe, was serving in the Army at the time, so he was not there. I believe he was in one of the wars, World War II. Is that the time frame for that? Hmm. This is where history evades me. Uh, yes. Yeah. Around 10 p.m., George John and George Jr. were in bed, and Jenny wanted to get everyone else in bed. 10 p.m., man. I'm like, 8 p.m., get your butts <laughs> to bed. <laughs> Right. Well, especially Christmas Eve. Like, man, you can't ever get them suckers to bed at Christmas Eve. Right. And Santa's got to come. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. They need to go. Right. So the three of the younger girls, Martha, who was 12, Jenny, who was eight, and Betty, who's five, had asked if they could stay up a little bit later than usual because their older sister, Marion, had just brought them some new toys from the dime store that she was working at in town. So oh, I'm pretty excited. Cute. Yeah. They want to stay up and play. So Jenny agreed to allow them to stay up as long as their big brothers, Maurice and Louis. I want to call him Luis because I feel like that's an Italian way of saying it. But <laughs> it's spelled Louis. And when I say Maurice, I just want to say Luis after it. <laughs> but anyway, Maurice is 14 Louis. and Louis is nine. So as long as they were still awake, mom was okay with the other kids being away, the girls. So Jenny asked them to make sure that before they went to bed, they had to put the cows in, feed the chickens, turn off the lights, close the curtains, and lock the front door. Oh my gosh, I love them. Put the cows up. There is no way my children will remember to do any of that stuff if I told them they could stay up. <laughs> Not one. So Jenny took Sylvia, who was two at the time, up to bed with her. Around 1230 in the morning, the phone rang, which woke Jenny up. So she went downstairs to answer it. Um... Random thought here. As I was reading this, I was thinking, one, there's no way that I would answer a call at 1230 in the morning. I don't think. But mainly because I would never hear the call come in because my ringer's totally off. So. Oh. <laughs> well, this was back in the day when phones were not like very common. Like you really did only use them for emergency. You didn't like call people to chat or whatever. So it probably right. scared her. Yeah. You probably had to go through an operator to like. Yeah. Oh, oh right. yeah. With the cords. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm assuming. But anyway, things have changed. If somebody was calling me in the middle of the night to tell me that something that bad is happening, I would, I'd have to wait. They'd have to wait till the morning. Oh, I would good to know. Hey, Christy's yeah. friends. <laughs> don't call don't me in call, an emergency. Don't call her. Call me. So the person on the other end of this call was a woman who asked for a man that Jenny didn't even know. So she basically was like, you got the wrong number. Sorry. Ooh. Bye. Operator got the lines crossed? I guess. Weird. But all she could hear in the background was this weird laughing and glasses clinking, which she thought was strange. But she was just like, whatever. It was Christmas Eve. Someone's having a Christmas party. Maybe this is a prank call. So she went back to bed. But before she did, she noticed that the lights were still on in the house, the curtains were open, and Marion was sleeping on the couch. So the kids 
hopefully they put the cows in and fed the chickens, but they did <laughs> not remember to shut the lights off and draw the curtains or lock the door. Um, so she just assumed they had forgotten, and so she shut everything down and went to bed. Around 1 a.m., so another 30 minutes later, how she actually fell asleep within that 30 minutes, I don't know, but at 1, 1 a.m., she woke to another sound, which was a bang on the roof, and then what sounded like some rolling down the wall after that. Didn't think anything of it, just went back to sleep. Then at 1.30, she wakes up again, but this time it's because she smelled smoke. And then there was a fire that had started in George's office. So she woke George up, they scrambled, yelled at the kids, grabbed whatever kids they could at the time, ran out the front door. George woke the other two sons, or two of the sons, and ran out the front door. And Marion escaped because she's sleeping on the couch downstairs. Anyway, the rest of the children usually sleep in the attic. They, from what I understand, they had a bedroom for boys and a bedroom for girls. Right. Up there. So they yelled up to them but didn't hear or see anyone. There's a couple of different reports that I believe John said he went in and tried to wake them up and then ran out. But then the, when he was asked again, he said that he didn't go in the room. All he did was yell and run out the door. So there's kind of some, you know, a little discrepancy there. But he sticks to or at least stuck to that he didn't actually see them and go in their room. <clears throat> so George tried to go back into the house and run up the stairs, but the staircase was engulfed in flames. So he came back outside to get a ladder that they usually keep up against the side of the house. But the ladder was not there. So then he had an idea to drive one of his two trucks that he owned over to the house to climb up and reach the window. But neither one of the trucks would start. Meanwhile, during that day, Christmas Eve, both trucks were working just fine. But neither one of them would start now. Hmm. So meanwhile, they're also unable to call for the fire chief because their phone was in the house and it was in the office where the fire had started. So Marion, at this point, runs to a neighbor's house and tried to call from the neighbor's house, but they couldn't reach the operator. And around the same time, another neighbor who had seen the fire tried to call for the fire chief, but was unsuccessful with getting through as well. So that neighbor drove down the road and found the fire chief. It was a couple of miles down the road. And the fire chief apparently didn't know how to drive the fire truck. So he then had to find oh the gosh. workers. <laughs> To come back, to the firemen to come back so that he could get to the fire to begin with. And which we all know that all these lines are not working. So it was quite a fiasco to find the firemen to come out. No kidding. When you're like, hey, fire chief, let's do your interview on how, why you should be chief. Right. Number one, do you know how to drive a fire truck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like the fire chief should know. Lower. So, So the fire station, again, like I said, is only two and a half miles away from the Sodder home. And they did not, and this fire started, so at 1.30, um, Jenny wakes up. They didn't reach the house until 8 a.m. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. By this time, the house was just a pile of ashes, and everyone just assumed that the five children were trapped inside the house. Martha, Jenny, Betty, Maurice, and Louise. See, I said it again. Louis. <laughs> they just assumed <laughs> he had, they had all died in the fire. And when we come back from the break, we will talk about all of the possible theories that have come from this case. 
Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Okay, so a search was done of the property the next day and no remains were found. The authorities say that the bodies burned completely in the fire and there was just no evidence of them. I checked into this just a little bit and the cremation of a body happens in between the temperatures of about 1400 to 1800 degrees. You know, some crematoriums will say 2000 degrees, but you know, we're in that range. A typical fire burns at about 1100 degrees. Mm. So my assumption is that they wouldn't just be completely ash. Yeah. Not all they, five of them, especially. Yeah, exactly. Not all five of them. Every single one of them? I don't think so. Clearly, that was a quick research on the topic, and we have no way of knowing how hot their fire reached. But it just seems a little bit crazy to think that they would completely burn up in that fire. And there have definitely been way more fires in the world where human remains were found at the scene of a fire. I mean, we just had a case a couple weeks ago where the house completely burned down and she was found in her bathroom and you could tell that there was a bullet that had gone through her head. So clearly, and that house was like completely burned to the ground too. So yeah, I have a hard time believing this. So Jenny was clearly skeptical about this. And she just decided, I'm going to conduct my own experiments. I already like this chick right mm. off get-go. She seems like my kind the of Brianna. people. Brianna. Yeah. <laughs> she decided she was going to burn some animal bones. So she took chicken bones, pork chop bones, beef joints, and put them in a bowl, set fire to them. And every time she did that, she was left with a pile of charred bones. Right. So and in this fire, there were parts of appliances in their basement that were still you know that had kind of survived pieces of it so she's also thinking like this these metal pieces survived my you know why wouldn't my children's bones survive right and they also um said that it burned for it only took about 45 minutes for it to burn so and a crematorium had told her that bones that were still left after burning for two hours in 2000 degree heat. So this made her even more skeptical of the fact that her children were completely gone. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine standing outside of a house and watching it burn and knowing or thinking that you've got five children in that house and where is the daggone fire department? Yeah. No kidding. Exactly. Like that would be, I I can't even, you don't come back from that. Like, no, sheesh. No. So, Their death certificates were issued five days later on December 30th. And George and Jenny also put about five feet of dirt on top of the scene and had plans to make a memorial garden for the children the day before that their death certificates were um, issued. They were told not to do it, but they just couldn't bear to look at this anymore. And they were living on in like another building on the property and they just bulldozed five feet of dirt on top of it. Oh gosh. So they have an inquest that the coroner requested and the fire was ruled an accident caused by faulty wiring. 
George was slightly confused by this because he had just recently had done electrical work in the house and was told everything was fine. And they also remember that as they watched the house burn, the Christmas lights were still on during the blaze. So if it was caused by faulty wiring, why wouldn't all of the power go out because of this? My gosh, that is creepy. Yeah. Right? I mean, but wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Lights, they wouldn't if it was the faulty wiring, then all the electricity in the house would be out. Theoretically. Theoretically, yes. So let's mention something else about this inquest. About two months before the fire in October of 1945, an insurance salesman had come to the solder home. When George refused to buy any, this man became angry and said, this house will go up in smoke and your children will be destroyed. Like, oh my gosh. I mean, that's, that's one way to try and sell something, right? <laughs> I wouldn't buy from you, Tyler. <laughs> oh, Tyler. Oh, Tyler. You're going to threaten my kids, Tyler? <laughs> Tyler's. Side note, his name was not Tyler. We don't have a name. <laughs> but Tyler is uh, the name that Beth and I give to just mean people. Kind of like Karen is that name out there. It's we just the male version of Karen. Male. The version of Karen is Tyler. Everybody knows. Yeah. One of those Tylers. Exactly. <laughs> so this man also said that this all would happen to his family because of all of the dirty remarks George had made about Mussolini. <laughs> So, you know, I, I laughed at that too, but I didn't mention this earlier, but they lived in a predominantly Italian area and he was well, a well-known member of the community. Well, apparently one of the reasons he was well-known was because of how outspoken against Mussolini he was, mm. which at times had caused some arguments around town. So people didn't really like that about him. George was controversial. Yes. And apparently this man turned out to be one of those, the jurors on the inquest team that ruled this an accident. Oh my, Tyler. So he threatens this family, essentially. Your house is going to burn and your kids are going to be destroyed. Destroyed. Those are kind of cre- like creepy words to say when yeah. they were completely destroyed, if that's what they we believe. They should be investigating this yeah. insurance salesman, not putting it's, him on the jury. Yeah. Instead, he's one of the investigators that's ruling this case. Whatever. It's very crazy. So there was also another man on the property um, prior to the fire that was looking for work who also made the comment that the fuse boxes would cause a fire someday. But again, George was confused by that because he had just had electrical work and everything was fine. So we've got these two people that are saying that a fire is going to happen. In and then it's going to be electrical. Right. Mm-hmm. So the ladder that they kept leaning on the house was found about 75 feet away down an embankment, which nobody knows why it was found there, how it got there. And a telephone repairman after the fire, because they were getting the phone line put in that other building, he told the Sodders that the telephone line had been cut before the fire. So there's speculation. There was a guy on the property that night that stole something and he was caught and later admitted that he cut the telephone wire, but he thought it was an electrical wire. But we don't really know why he was there to cut the electrical wire and accidentally cut the phone wire. So there's lots of like crazy little people and there's no. Well, that's a very short. I mean, somebody called at 1230 
And then at 1.30, she woke up and there was a fire and he was in there. He was on the property in between that time because he couldn't have been there before 12.30 if he cut right. the phone line. I mean, he could have been there and just waiting. But that's but, crazy. Right. And they right. just let him go? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't remember what he stole. It was something stupid on the property that he stole. That, um, But yeah, he said that he was there and he also cut the wire. I don't know. Anyway. It's, it's, I'm telling you, there's so many little things that you're just like, what the heck? But there's no, there's no paper trails anymore of it. Like you can't go back. You're just going back on stories that people have told because um, the FBI doesn't even have their files on it anymore. They destroyed them in 90, 1999, I think. So you're just going on stuff that people have printed before. And anyway, there's all these different things out there. As the case got some publicity, a driver, a bus driver who passed through Fayetteville on that very night said he had seen some people throwing balls of fire at the house. Oh, heavenly day. Right. And a few months after the fire, Sylvia was playing in the yard and the snow had melted and she found this kind of like heavy green ball. And George recognized this ball as a pineapple bomb hand grenade. Obviously. Yeah, you. I would recognize that. No. A pineapple ball hand grenade? Yeah, something that the military used apparently. So, uh-huh. which that goes back to Jenny hearing the thud on the roof. <gasps> yes! Something like rolling down the side of the house. And could be what the bus driver was seeing people throwing at them, at the house. Okay, and then the sightings of the children begin. So a woman claimed to have witnessed the fire and saw the children in a car looking out the window as at the fire as they drove by and happened to see that they had Florida plates somehow. Hmm. And then the next day, a woman at a rest stop about 50 miles away said they, she had served them breakfast and noticed a Florida license plate on the car um, that they arrived in, that she thought they arrived in. She wasn't positive it was that car but i guess she did she know the children no but when she was seeing pictures of them she said she recognized that she had fed these children breakfast the next day well who were they with um a couple of men and women and then another woman at that worked at a hotel about an hour away in charleston which isn't Mm -hmm. far right no that's super close that's the capital yes i just drove through it coming back Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so she's she's a, in, works in a hotel, and she recognized the children from pictures in the newspaper, too. And she said that they were part of this family that she had served a week after the fire. She said there were two women and two men with them, and that they all looked of Italian extraction. This word was used in every single article <laughs> that I read. <laughs> cute. Yeah, it's a funny word. I would have just been like Italian descent or just look like they were Italian, whatever. <laughs> 1948. Yeah. What a time to be alive. (laughs) So she mentioned trying to speak to the children, but the adults would not allow her to speak to them. And then they Mm. left early the next day. So that's when George becomes convinced that his children are alive and they were kidnapped and the Italian mafia was behind it all. Oh, Lord, (laughs) the mafia. Yeah. Sicilian, apparently. Most Sicilians. They're some mean people. (laughs) So, and he thought that they had set the fire as a distraction, but took them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And at this point, 
because he believes that they're alive, he is trying to find the children and they are basically doing it on their own. Um, Cause he had seen, you know, between 1947 and 49, this, I don't know exactly when this was happened because um, it didn't say in anything that I read, but I know it happened between those years based on the other stuff that I read uh, that a picture in a paper of school children in Manhattan made him think that one of them was his child, his child. So he went to New York to find these children in this school, but the parents wouldn't speak to him. So he didn't really actually find out 100% that it wasn't one of his daughters, but he couldn't find out any, any information because the parents wouldn't talk to him. And then Mm -hmm. they asked the FBI to help and the FBI was totally willing, but they needed to be asked by the local authorities and the local authorities refused to ask for the FBI's help. Ooh. Which is kind of curious to me because why wouldn't you want help in finding these children, especially if these parents are convinced that they are alive and that they have no evidence that they're not really. They really did not like George. I know. This is, I, I'm told, I'm on George's train here. I think some somebody did something to him and his family and everybody's trying to cover it up. Um, let's see. In 1949, there was another search of the site done and they found, they found bones. They were vertebrae, what they called them. So, and they sent them to the Smithsonian and the Smithsonian issued this report. The human bones consist of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to one individual. Since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of the individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. The top age should be around 22 because this fused bone fuses at 23. So they're figuring it's around 16 or 17, but could go up to 22. Now, the oldest child in that fire that was stuck in the fire was 14 and a half, and they wouldn't they said they would not have bones that would look 16 to 17, no matter what. So Hmm. they, Smithsonian does not think it's one of the kids. And then they also were not exposed to fire. So it was assumed that these bones were in the dirt that they put on top of (gasps) the site. So (laughs) there was this vertebrae from someone before the fire that they have on this site. Oh my gosh, they dug up a graveyard to put on a graveyard. Yeah, exactly. It's dark. <laughs> it's very dark. Um, George and Jenny put up a billboard in 1952 at the site of their house and another one on Route 60. Did you ever see this billboard? Okay, I was totally hoping that you would bring this up because, yes, the billboard is still somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I cannot in my... um. Like, I just was sitting here trying to think of where it is that I actually saw the billboard, but it's in, like, a public place, mm-hmm. and it is the original pictures of the kids and says, like, missing and has – it's crazy. It's, like, yeah. the black and white photos of the kids and all five of them on there with descriptions and what happened and the dates and all that stuff. Yes, it's still there. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. on Chris It's, like, says, a historical on the- thing. Right. And it's, according to what I can tell, it's the, it's on route 60, which I don't know where that is, but 
it's on this road. So people drive by it all the time, but they put one on the side of the house as well. So they had two initially. And on it, it says, on Christmas Eve, 1945, our home was set afire and five of our children, ages five through 14, kidnapped. The officials blamed defective wiring, although lights were still burning after the fire started. The official report stated that the children died in the fire. However, no bones were found in the residue, and there was no smell of burning flesh during or after the fire. What was the motive of the law law officers involved? What did they have to gain by making us suffer all these years of injustice? Why did they lie and force us to accept those lies? That's Mm. all on the billboard with their their pictures on it. Yeah. That's just crazy. I mean, this family did that themselves. This wasn't a billboard that was put up by some company. You know, this family puts two of these billboards up in the Yeah, or law enforcement either because they could not get the cooperation from law enforcement. So they literally had to, like, manhunt themselves. Yeah. And look for their kids. Yeah, you should post a picture of that billboard. Oh, I'm going to. Like, yeah, it's, that's a, it's a very sombering thing. Yeah. This, there's a lot of pictures that I want to post on this case. I feel like it's going to be like all week long when I, when this is on that there's going to be pictures of these kids and the billboards and everything. Yeah. So at some point they also added that there was a $10,000 reward to this billboard, which was taken down at some point later on when they didn't have any more money, you know, to spend on that. But, um, George was still personally also following up on random leads that proved to be nothing of significance. Um, a couple of them were someone from St. Louis. So there's another, there's like a tie-in. Ooh, Spidey. Yeah. Like, there was <laughs> weird stuff going on in this. Someone from St. Louis claimed that Martha was in a convent here. Someone in a bar in Texas said that they heard someone bragging about the fire and the kidnapping at some point. And oh. also relatives of Jenny's had children that look like his. And so he went to Florida and he wouldn't leave until he was satisfied that they weren't his children. Oh, wow. Oh, poor man. Yes. He's a grieving father who just will not give up. And it's not, you know, I mean, clearly if it's Jenny's relatives, there's a good chance that somebody in the family looks like the kids. And when oh yeah, you see pictures of kids all the time and from different generations and you're like, oh my gosh, I look just like that person. Absolutely. So, but he's not giving up. So in 1967, he went to Houston because a woman there had claimed that a drunk guy had admitted to being Louis Sauter and that he and Maurice were living there together. But when Louis, uh, when George got there, he was unable to speak to this woman, but the police did help him track down the man who made this claim. But then that guy denied being Louis and, you know, clearly there's no DNA back then. I would yeah. imagine now it would be amazing if right now all of these people are on 23andMe or Ancentury.com and there's some sort of link oh, and they could actually right? find these kids. <gasps> or be like the, the children of Louis Sutter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That There's yeah. that familial link that somebody will get the little... Boop, boop, you have a new relative. And you're like, oh, who's that? (laughs) Oh, you're one of the kids that went missing. (gasps) Crazy. That would be crazy. Um, So the last tip came in. Now, it's a little questionable. It's either 1967 or 68. Most places say 68, but I did see a couple of places said 67. Um, But this picture of a young man came in the mail who was about 30 years old in the picture. And they looked a lot like... Lewis. 
if he had survived. So they're like, you know, aging him that it, they thought it could be him. And on the back of this picture were the words, Louis Sauter, I love Brother Frankie, Lil Boys, A90132 or 35. And the envelope had no return address on it, but was postmarked Central City, Kentucky. What in the world? Yes. Really weird that it said Louis Sauter. However, there is no Frankie brother or sister. Hmm. in the picture little so, boys yeah and the numbers don't make sense but they hired a private detective they had hired a couple of private detectives throughout this case um, that helped them but they hired one specifically to go and look into this but he left and was never heard from again and they've never been able to locate him so there's a couple theories on that that he just took their money and ran and just mm. stopped taking calls or uh, he, you know, went missing because they did find Lewis and somebody's still trying to cover it up by because not letting this. The, the mafia. Right. But clearly we have no indication either way of which one that is. George died in 1969, unfortunately. And apparently Jenny wore black in mourning for the rest of her life and took care of the garden at the house until she died in 1989. The children took the billboard down after she passed. The one on the um, property, on their house property, is down. And that was up for 37 years. And the other one's still up. So I think the other one's still up. The yeah, children, and- yeah. The children and grandchildren continued to publicize this and investigate any leads that would come in. Sylvia Sauter is the youngest child and at in 2015 was still alive, but I have not been able to find anything on her since then. So she could still be alive or she could have died, but I can't, I searched for her and searched and I can't find any, I can't find an obituary. I can't find anything. And apparently she wouldn't talk much to the press anyway, if somebody called for an interview or cause there's been lots of documentaries and articles and whatever that she didn't really she wasn't big on being on camera or being taped or whatever anyway so I feel like she kind of was a little bit more private so we still have no answers on this and at all and but fire professionals to this day believe that the children died in the fire but I Hmm. am so not convinced of that just yeah because of all of the weird things that happened before and the fact that there are no bones. And I read one theory, which I said, because a few people said they didn't hear any yelling either coming from the house, meaning they, they didn't think she, they were in the house because they would have been screaming. Even if, even if kids tend to hide during a fire, they'd still be yelling. Yeah, I'm sure. And nobody heard that. And a few people have said that, um, how would they have gotten the kids out of the house without waking somebody? Exactly. Five kids and Marion's on the couch right by the front door. And the mom woke up to hear the phone and woke up to hear the noise. So like, she's clearly not at this crazy, heavy sleeper. Right. So one theory that I saw that is, I think completely plausible is that whoever took them was outside waiting and they, all the kids went out to, feed the chickens and put the cows away. And Mm. so they were able to just take them in that moment. That seems very plausible to me. 
But but then wouldn't the other kids know if they didn't come back in? Well, no, they were the only five that were awake because Marion, Marion, oh, I believe, right. had already fallen asleep on the couch. And they, though, the three little girls were allowed to stay up as long as the two older boys were. So if all five of them like went outside together just to, you know, they seemed like they were a pretty close knit family, then. And they I would, would imagine the only you like can't put cows up by yourself. Right. I don't really, I don't really know about that, but yeah, yeah I don't that's, know. That's that's a good that. theory. Yeah, and that those were the only five that were taken. That maybe they did plan to take everybody. But because they just had access to those five, they were just like, oh, I'll just take these five. Wonder what the uh, motive to take any was. Yeah, I, the yeah, I don't know. I mean, the biggest one, the biggest motive was that it was something to do with like the Italian mafia. Like that was the the only people that they really ever said that would have done this or would have had a reason to do it. I don't know. I mean, Italians do hold grudges and stuff, but. Uh, they do. And I think it's interesting, too, to think about, like, um, you know, just social discord. I mean, like, we right now know the impacts of that and, like, people who speak out incorrectly or against the grain mm-hmm. or against the um, popular opinion. And George absolutely did that. And so, like, even back then, it was so ingrained, I think, in our culture to, like, just be the norm and be, you know, don't make waves and you know what I mean? And he was yeah. not doing that. Like he was known for being someone who was like going to speak his truth and people did not like him. And I think yeah. that we can't take that lightly as far as like the impact that that has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, very true. Yeah. That's very sad. Tr- yeah. Very sad case. Very interesting case. Lots of little intricate details but that's all and I got on it we could all know a solder yeah no kidding <laughs> there's a little I mean, solder in all of us if Martha's here in the convent somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so we probably don't know Martha but <laughs> the one in the bar though like <laughs> the Texan guy in the bar <laughs> true. true that guy <laughs> I like it that, anyway you did, that was great you did a good job you did it proud thanks thanks <laughs> yeah That's all right it. guys thank you so much for listening I love talking about my home state and that was a good one That's a good old story that's kind of ingrained in West Virginia culture. So I'm glad to cover it. Finally, Laura, there you go, my sister. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. We uh, are having such a blast hearing from you guys and would love to hear more from you. If you like what you hear, please go to Apple or your platform. Leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you think. Send us an email at crimesandclosets at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet.